0: National Review Institute is cruising to Alaska. Join NR writers and other thought leaders for a special vacation from June 16 to June 23 aboard Holland America's Nordam. If you're feeling especially adventurous, you can participate in an optional land tour before the cruise from June 12 to June 15. Enjoy fine dining, entertainment, and world-class accommodations as you rub elbows with NR personalities and other special guests during panel discussions, breakout sessions exclusive 1955 society events and more make it a family trip this year we've added youth programming for your children and grandchildren destinations include glacier bay skagway and Juneau. to register visit nricruise.com that's nricruise.com <laughs>
1: Thanks for the memories. Robert Herr versus Joe Biden plus the justices dunk on Colorado. We'll discuss all this and more on this edition of the editors. I'm Larry and I'm joined as always, or at least some of the time, by the dominator, Dominic Pino, Madeline Maddie Kearns, and the notorious MBD, Michael Brandon Doherty. You are, of course, listening to a Nashville podcast. Our sponsors this episode are the How the World Works podcast in full time. The new book just out from our friend, David Bonson. More about both of them. In due course, if for some reason you're not already following us on a streaming service, by the way, you can find us everywhere from Spotify to iTunes. If you like what you hear here, please consider giving us a glowing five-star review on iTunes. If you don't like what you hear here, please forget I said anything. So speaking of forgetting MBD, we had this blockbuster report on what it already seemed a pretty blockbuster day, just given the Supreme Court arguments, which we'll get to in a little bit here, but Robert Herr said that Joe Biden found that Joe Biden had willfully retained and repeated uh, classified um, classified documents and information from classified documents, but he wasn't going to be charged for all sorts of reasons. Uh, one of which it would have been difficult just to establish that willfulness. That's probably the wrong standard, by the way, but but that's the one he used uh, for for a jury and part of the consideration. In terms of what it, uh, whether a jury would convict, is that they would find Joe Biden a sympathetic, well meaning elderly man with poor memory. So, elderly man with poor memory is now one of the phrases of this campaign. You know, we'll hear it all the way through to November. It'd be like the word deplorables in 2016. And then there are instances that I don't think would be surprising for any of us given what we've seen of Joe Biden in public, but of Biden not being able to remember. When he started to be vice president, when he stopped being vice president and not getting within years of the time of his son, Bo Biden's death. Biden's lawyers objected strenuously to this information being included in the report. They said it was inappropriate. They also included an inaccurate I- in there, I, I think, just because they they had to. And then Joe Biden held this um primetime press conference which he semi press conference press conference probably too grand a word for it but an availability after a, a statement vociferously objecting not not you know saying that this was wrong really but just that he, he kind of said he didn't directly address it but you know on the Bo Biden thing I, I didn't think it was any of their business but but he didn't say. Of course, I knew. You know, when when he uh, when he died, and then he he went through how much he cares about this. And, uh, you know, your heart goes out to him. He he cares about it deeply. He can. It's one of these things. John Boehner was talking about the bar, and who knows what you know. Family memories are caught up in that. Biden, it's it's talking about Bo where he just can't do it without uh, uh, nearly nearly breaking down. But he couldn't remember. It, Appeared not to remember when he got the rosary that he, he wears that Bo Biden had. A reporter challenged him on his uh, memory and people thinking he's not up for the job anymore. And he said, Well, that's what you say, but that's not the judgment of the press when he met the public. And then you can just see the, the White House advisors must have uh, been so uh, upset and distressed by this. Biden's walking off, which is fine. <laughs> then he stops. You know, and he gets the question about the the Middle East, and then he goes back to the podium, and that's when he commits the the most memorable gaffe in the whole thing, confusing the president of Egypt with the president of Mexico, which is a real head scratcher, right? They don't start with the same letter, they're not in the same region, and then he he tottered off. What do you make of it?
0: I mean, it was a disaster. the The press availability was a disaster uh, because it highlighted and emphasized the contents of the report by basically proving it true. Um, and by him literally repeating the phrase I am, a, or he tried to repeat and and spin the phrase where he said, I am well-meaning, I am an elderly man and I know what the hell I'm doing. And um, you know, there are a couple of things. One, his temper in this, um, when Ronald Reagan was accused of potentially being too old, he fired back with a, an extremely cool, witty joke about "I'm not going to hold my, you know, opponent's youth and inexperience against him," uh, which you know made him seem younger, with it, and and kind of you know game. What Biden did was the exact opposite. He came out. And looked confused, looked slow, and then disputed this in this kind of like angry way that I'm sorry is, is recognizably the way that senile people deny their own diminishment. And it is, so it was, it was shocking. And let me emphasize this week has been full of Biden mess-ups. Like You narrated like 10 of them in that availability. Uh, on Sunday, he recalled a conversation he had last year with Francois Mitterrand, the French premier who died in 1996. In the middle of the week, on Wednesday, he mentioned a 21, 2021 conversation he had with Helmut Kohl, the German chancellor who left office in 1998 and died in 2017. <laughs> he told a Democratic audience that he was a Catholic opposed to abortion on demand, which is something that no democratic candidate for president should say. And then he said, he just thought the Supreme court was wrong to overturn Roe, which of course was what mandated abortion on demand in every state. Uh, so like he is, I mean, go- I like, I, I mean, he is gone more often now than he was two years ago, maybe two months ago. And this is very obvious. It was suddenly like waving. um, I mean, yesterday's press availability suddenly was like waving the red flag in front of the bull um, with the press, Mm -hmm. starting to actually attack. Yeah, I
1: mean, reporters braying at him. You know, are you up for this anymore? Are you going to step aside? Right. It's just a it, a sea change. And it happened. Right. And remember, on Monday, a poll
0: came out from NBC saying only 23% of voters believe Joe Biden has the necessary mental and physical health to be president. So, like, this this is the week of Joe, Joe Biden's mental acuity. And in every appearance he's made this week, he's raised <laughs> more questions.
1: About yeah, there, there's was a moment last night where, th- th- when they were all screaming at him, or it seemed like for a second he wasn't going to be able to handle it. He was just going to be overwhelmed by it and put his head down, you know. Um, but he, you know, I, I think he's doing a good job running on fumes. But he's clearly running on fumes. He, he can stand there, and most of the things he say says make sense. But but it's you know in, interspersed with with all these signs of serious decline. And Maddie, I've I'm not a neurologist. Uh, I'm, I'm not an expert. But the, the three questions that are commonly asked of, of people who might have dementia to, to do a little, you know, just quick five-minute test is how old are you, what year it is, <clears throat> and who is the president of the United States? <clears throat> and I'd be pretty confident Joe Biden does not know how old he is now. He might know what, what year it is because what the line of work he's in, and he knows he's, he's president. But the killer question to ask at that press conference would have been said, okay, when, when were you vice president? I don't think he would have been able to answer when did no one would have asked this, but when did Bo Biden die? I don't think he would he would he would know this is and all, you know other signs are there the, you know the weird kind of anger and irritability, the gait, which is extremely concerning. I mean it seems almost now that it's you know he's walking across the, the White House lawn and you're like he's gonna trip on the grass. So, people see this as we've talked about for a very long time now. It doesn't matter what's said about it. It doesn't matter how people, how mad people are at Robert Hur for including it in the report. They know it to be true.
2: Yeah. I mean, I would say that coming across as cantankerous is probably mildly preferable to coming across as sleepy and dazed, which sometimes you get. So, I, I think there, was, there were some defenders of Biden saying, oh, well, he had, at least he had a bit of energy. But as you say, it's Good spirit. Yeah, running running on fumes. Um, this is a big problem for Biden. It keeps being the main takeaway. I mean, he ordinarily, if it wasn't for this issue to do with his mental state and and his age, he said a number of things in in his public remarks last night that would be major headlines uh, in their own right. You know, he he said that Israel was behaving <clears throat> in an over the top way in its in its response in Gaza. Um, obviously, there's the substantial matter about the classified documents dispute and what the report said about that, but. All of that was completely overwhelmed and overshadowed by this thing that's basically become a meme at this point. It's, is, is the President of the United States actually fit to do the job? And as Michael says, the public have made their concerns clear on that. That's why you've, you've got this situation where um, even journalists and uh, media outlets that would be ordinarily quite sympathetic to Biden are forced to discuss this. That's why you had that um, the very sharp question at the end. You know, why why does it have to be you? And he responds with this almost like the, the big Lebowski, you know, that's just your opinion, man. You know, the, obviously it's not just her opinion um, and, and the public can see that. I mean, it was interesting seeing like the way people tried to defend him. So you had David Axelrod on CNN say, you know, this was a really compelling emotional display when he was asked about his son, um, actually what I saw when he started talking about the, the rosary is he said, Our Lady of... And then he looked like he forgot the name. Um, now, it's a, it's a convenient cover at that point to make it look like you're having an emotional moment, but I'm not sure I'm not sure that's what was really going on there. You also had Biden's former comms woman saying, you know, who cares that he misspoke? But that maybe works once in a while, but not when it happens this frequently. Um, so, yeah, I mean, th- this is just going to... I think, continue to be be an issue. And, and the more he's in, in the public eye, and he needs to be in the public eye if he's going to run this like a normal campaign, um, we're, we're just going to see more and more of this.
1: Yeah, so Dalmick, a lot of fury is being directed at Robert Herr, who's being portrayed as a, as a Trump hack and having pulled a, a James Comey, where he's just making, he is supposed to be making a charging decision here. And ex- instead, he's explaining it publicly. But this is actually Robert Herr's responsibility as a special ha- counsel to write... A report And it's not his decision whether to make it public or not. It's Merrick Garland's decision to make it public. Now it's become ru- routine that these things are made public. But if, if you're going to explain why you're not going to charge charge him and you think that he willfully did this, you know, the memory is part of it. And if anything, it might be too generous to Joe Biden because, as Andy McCarthy points out, the Espionage Act, which is at play here, the standard is gross ne- negligence. Is not. It's not. Uh, you know, you don't need this this big element of willfulness. And then it's it's the, the standard is not mental infirmity. Now, it's it's mental infirmity at the time of the offense. And there's some of that. You know, he talks about how just Biden was incredibly uh, fuzzy and and halting when talking to this. Uh, to this ghostwriter, but the the complaint is that th- this material was included. And again, I think you know everyone in the White House, everyone who's dealt with Biden, we can assume has experienced this. And the problem here is that someone experienced it and didn't hide or lie about it.
3: Yeah, that's exactly right, Rich. I mean, it's an example of someone saying out loud what everyone already noticed. Um, I. The accusations from the White House that this was like based on prejudice, either against him for his age or against him for his uh, political party is nonsensical. As you mentioned earlier, the polling already shows that the American people have been concerned about this for a very long time. And a lot of the American people have been concerned about this for a very long time because they see their president out there and they see his inability to uh, to put together coherent sentences consistently. Um, if you want, you know, honest headlines, it's helpful to look at the way that foreign newspapers covered this. The Sydney Morning Herald said, Biden confuses Mexico and Egypt in press conference where he declared my memory is fine. Uh, the Daily Telegraph had no amount of spin can hide it. Joe Biden's mental capacity is just not up to the job. That's how, you know, foreign papers in friendly countries are viewing this. I can only imagine what foreign media in adversarial countries are thinking so i I think it's it's really uh it is really troubling and it's something that uh that you know that more and more people are going to notice and the thing about mental decline as people get older is a lot of times it's not linear so a lot of times uh it will it will get worse for a stretch then it will kind of be stable then it might get really bad again and be stable again and so you know as Biden continues to get older, which that's how time works, he's only going to get older. um, We don't know when there's going to be another episode where it gets really bad, where he's, you know, where he needs to, where he needs to do something and he's unable to, Um, you know, we don't know what that's going to look like a couple months down the road. And especially, uh, you know, almost five years down the road, which is what he wants because he's running for reelection. So, it is, it is. It is. It's a big problem. And I, I don't think, uh, you know, they're not going to be able to hide it because the way to solve the problem is to do what they did yesterday. Right. Put him out there in front of the press, have him answer questions and have him prove that his memory is perfectly fine and that he's still with it. But he couldn't do that. And so it's going to be. It, it, yeah, it's not going anywhere.
1: Yeah, I also think he should. You know, there should be some acknowledgement. Just say, "Look, uh, you know, I'm I'm over 80 years old. You know, I have more trouble with names and dates than I, than I, than I used to. You know, at least admit it to to that extent. And also, if he's really suffering from dementia and he's not getting treated uh, for it, that's a that's just a terrible thing. You know, there are drugs that can slow the the decline uh, or um, the the uh, progression of, of the disease, uh, at least not not stop it. But MBD this goes to the uh, the big big exit question on everyone's mind. Feel free to ex- expand on this a little bit more than the average exit question answer. Although most people don't need that much encouragement to go long on an ex- exit question answer anyway. But percentage odds that in November, Joe Biden will still be the Democratic nominee, will be the Democratic nominee for President Zero. Um, he's... Uh, um, well, a hundred percent, he's not going to be the nominee. Is the way I should ask it. So, a hundred percent, he's definitely not going to be the nominee. <clears throat> zero, it's a lock. He will be the nominee. Um,
0: it, it's it's zero. He's going to be the nominee, but minus the actuarial table event. I think the only thing that removes him is death.
1: Um, I, I like think, literally death. So not not some death. sort of short of death.
0: Nothing. and I think nothing short of death removes him from the ticket because there is, as I've said before, there is not another um, fresh body or bag of deceased bones in the Democratic Party labeled FDR coalition, and that's it needs to beat Trump, and he's the last item, and so they will go with him until the very end, and and
1: so there's no just no way out, even if, even if Biden. How about odds that chances that Biden just at some point decides I want out? Or do you think that's impossible?
0: I think it's impossible. I think it's impossible. I think, I think he knows. I think it's not only he knows that, but it's also – it's very difficult to do this um, when, you know, your whole staff is going to be fired and replaced. Like, I mean, you know, it's not like, you know, Anthony Blinken is going to get in his ear and say – you know hey boss you really should step down because then anthony blinken's going to lose his job and cuz everyone like kamala harris knows that all the biden people hate her she's not going to keep anyone if there's some kind of transition you know over time she's going to get rid of everyone and put in her own loyalists if she can find enough um and
1: yeah, so she'll be putting in putting in a lot of loyalists cuz she'll put them in they'll go right back out <laughs> If we're, if, we're, if we're staffing situations, any indication to so, this
0: point? So, no, I, I just think there's nothing short of death will remove Biden from the Democratic ticket.
1: All right, Maddie, we have a very a firm zero on the board.
2: Um, I think there's nothing short of death or an incapacitating health incident. Um, so, you know, if, if it becomes, like, completely, just on a practical basis, difficult for him to get up and talk uh, and whatever. Um Good.
1: I think were <laughs> not to be ghoulish, but if if you were sort of in a, a state kind of like John Fetterman, w- do you think you'd they would just they would run him like they they did Fetterman? You know, uh, don't be mean to him and the other guys worse, or that that would be that would constitute a debilitating condition such that they'd had to run someone else.
2: Well, I mean, it, it depends how much of a say Biden gets in it because I agree with Michael. I think he has to be dragged out of there. He's not mm-hmm. going to go willingly. He made that very clear last night. Um, there's there's too much kind of ego in this for him.
1: Uh, mm-hmm. so He's turned the country around. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You know, and that's and that's the the you know, another argument they'll make. And unfortunately there's something to it, not turning the country around. Of course, he'd been driving to the ground, but he, he punched above his weight legislatively. And if you're a progressive, he he achieved a lot. Dominic, your your odds. Uh, I'm
3: I'm with Michael basically. I think it's wow. I think it's zero. Um, because, uh, you know, you look at what else was going on this week. Terrible week for Biden, obviously. But what else was he doing this week? He was attending fundraisers in New York City. Joe Biden raised more money than any other candidate in history in the 2020 election. And he's on pace to break his own record in 2024. Uh, People are still donating to him. Uh, He's still the incumbent president of the United States. He still has all of the powers that come with that. And uh, I, I... And it's it's pretty late in the game. The Democrats have already, um, you know, uh, uh, made every primary just an auto win for him. So uh, I don't see any feasible way for them to do that now. Again, if there is some, if he if he does die, they're gonna have to figure out a way to, to change that. I'm sure they I will. Guess I should
1: have asked if if he dies, will he still be on the ballot or not? <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, yeah like, I mean no. it's yeah, and, and and you know you bring up hey, Fetterman, hey, Fetter, yeah. Fetterman won, and <laughs> he's he's gonna be a senator for for uh, you know he gets his he gets his six year term, and um, you know hey <laughs> they get if if they're looking to learn a lesson from the from the Pennsylvania Senate election, the lesson is he can be basically uh in a coma and 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 still win so uh i I don't see uh, i don't see why that would change why that calculus would change now especially because as i said earlier all the special report all the special counsel's report did was confirm what we already knew um so it's not like there was any new information in this it was just somebody saying out loud from an official position what the voters have already known for a long
1: time so all these goose eggs have tossed me, uh, talked me down a little bit. I've been 20%. He's not going to be the nominee entirely based on, uh, health that just makes it practically impossible. I was going to go up to 30, but I'm just going to go up, uh, up a little bit to, to 25. I think the, in, what we're seeing just increases the odds that, that, it, that they're, they're going to have to say he just, he can't, he can't do it, but I'm still, uh, I'm still I'm still not a switcher. I, I don't think there's been a plan to switch them. I think you know the, what they should have done for the good of their party and for the country. More importantly, Joe and Joe should have sat down last year and said, "Look, you know you, you're uh, you're not what you used to be. It's not going to get better. Let's step. Aside, say we're not running again, and let let there be a primary process, and the party will will sort it out." They they didn't do that. Uh, no one encouraged them to do it. There was kind of this false dawn after the the um, midterms where the Democrats had more success than they expected. We're like, wow, we're totally with with Joe. And and it should have been, you know, it was entirely predictable what they're facing, a guy in, in serious decline who's going to decline more by November. But just the cure would likely be worse than the, the disease here. Who are you going to switch to, you know, as as Michael Alluded to, how are you going to do it? You're going to have an open convention. Is that convention going to be totally rigged? You know, for for Gavin Newsom, and how are you going to do that? If it, you know, how are you going to push Kamala Harris out of out of the way? Um, is, is it going to be rigged for Kamala Harris? Is that really going to be better than than Biden? That's that's not clear and, and this will be totally unprecedented un- territory and you'd have to think it, it doesn't really redound to the benefit of the party having a president that they've all been uh, propping up and pretending is is uh you know the uh, second coming of, of FDR and then all of a sudden, oh no, whoops he, he's totally incompetent and can't can't do this. And we're gonna come up with someone, you know, the Michelle Obama, you hear a lot of speculation about that. There's no indication she wants to do it, and she's totally untested as uh A political candidate herself, Gavin Newsom, you know, looks good on paper and on TV. Totally untested at the the national level, and there's a lot of vetting that uh, uh, will will go on. Um, It just they find things out that just don't emerge at the local or state level. So it'd be a a huge risk. So they're just going to hold on here uh, if they can. You know, if he's not totally uh, incapacitated or doesn't have some truly hideous. False. I'm not, not quite the, where you guys are at zero, but um, I'm also uh, skeptical that uh, it's going to be anyone else except for Joe Biden tottering on through November or until November. So with that, let's hear from our first sponsor. This episode is listeners of National Review Podcast. You already have all the riveting political commentary and news analysis you need, but good news There's a new podcast featuring author, commentator, and our old friend Kevin Williamson offering a fresh perspective on something we all do, work to make a living. That's right. Kevin has teamed up with the Competitive Enterprise Institute to make a new show called How the World Works. Instead of trying to unravel the mysteries of the universe, it's a look at how the world, well, actually works. Each episode, Kevin has an intimate conversation with a notable guest where they discuss the jobs they've had, why work matters, the role of work in our economy and social lives, and policy ideas for helping workers. After all, work involves a lot more than hours put in and paychecks cash, so be sure to listen to How the World Works wherever you listen to podcasts or visit cei.org slash podcast to find the latest episode episodes of the show so Maddie also a lot of uh, events on Capitol Hill we had the border deal which we were waiting for for months uh, uh, survived maybe about 24 hours maybe maybe not that really <laughs> uh, didn't really survive his first contact with reality with Republicans who lodged all sorts of complaints ab- about it. we discussed that in the first step. This week, and it just, it, it died an ignom- ignominious death. And the whole idea, of course, there, or a big part of the idea was that that would be the sweetener to get a foreign aid package through for Israel and especially Ukraine. A lot of uh, Republicans object to Ukraine funding now. They're just trying to get that foreign aid bill through. It it um, passed a, a test vote, a procedural vote in the Senate with 67 votes. So that indicates that it should clear the 60-vote threshold in the Senate sometime here. there are a lot of process questions, maybe not till early next week. And then the question is whether the uh, House Speaker Mike Johnson will bring it up. What do you make of it?
2: Yeah, so I think it's a it's a shame that the uh the border deal uh died. Um I think that it had a fair amount to commend it. Obviously it wasn't perfect. The um the, the best things about it was that it really was not an amnesty bill that was not provided for. Um, it also, I think, made changes to the asylum process that Trump himself wanted when president, that he couldn't get through Congress. Um, there were some issues about the the 5,000 uh, as, uh, asylums secret or, or migrants coming in a day, but I think that actually the, the provision didn't mean that migration is unchecked up to 5,000 a day. It just meant the whole thing would be shut down once, once they were processing that amount. Um, and I think the biggest thing that commended the the border deal was that um, it would be a toolbox for a future president. So it's a, it's fair enough to say that Biden would very likely ignore all of this, uh, and so you, you might say, what's the point? But I think that actually, without something like this, then Trump is going to inherit a big mess that's going to be very difficult to do anything about without uh, a cooperative um, Congress, and you're not going to get uh, Democrats cooperating with with Trump if he if he wins the election. Um, obviously, as you say, the the foreign uh, bill was uh, lost its sweetener, but I think at this point the stakes are high enough that that was enough to get the get the votes that it needed. Um, it also had a kind of added sweetener in that the bill allocated significant resources to arms production in the U.S., including submarines, artillery, air defense, um, cruise missile components, as well, which we note in our editorial. Um, and I think you can just make a big enough case for national security um, that we we need we need something like this uh, so yeah, I think it's, it's it's a shame about the border deal but uh, better getting this foreign ha- foreign aid than not
1: yeah so so Dominic on the on the border a, a colleague kind of clarified how to look look at it for me if if your standard is improving from the status quo, the border bill probably Meets that standard. If your standard is uh, a border bill should not make what is supposed to be the written law worse, and to a certain extent codify you know, practices that that have helped the border run out of control over the last thirty years, then then the bill is bad. But once Trump said, you know, I, I don't want this deal, it was it was clear there wasn't going to be a deal. And in fact, some some point, I, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, like two weeks ago or so, while they're still negotiating, Mitch McConnell said, you know, we're not doing this because Trump, Trump doesn't want it and, you know, no, one, no one's going to vote for it, but then they ended up doing the deal either uh, anyway and, and sort of running this this own goal on themselves or creating a wedge issue for themselves. I mean, this isn't the most important thing that's you know, going to happen in the election, but it wasn't a great look where this issue that unifies all Republicans, wherever they are on the underlying question of you know higher levels of immigration or legal immigration or skills or whatever that were all opposed to illegal immigration and, and Biden's been a disaster at the border suddenly became incredibly divisive where you had this circular <coughs> firing squad among Republicans. and this is the kind of thing that Mitch McConnell just it's hard to believe that that he would have stumbled into <coughs> a, a year or two or a couple. A couple years ago, where where he he was in on cutting the deal, and then immediately was like, "No, we, we don't," you know, uh, ur- urged his cautious ca- caucus in the meeting to vote no, which just um, is not the the deafness that we associate with the minority leader.
3: I think this the collapse of this deal is another is is adds to uh, the justification for my zero percent prediction in the last uh, in the last segment um, about Biden's. Uh, returning to run for reelection because, uh, you know, he's 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 getting wins here. Um, the uh, the the White House's position on this was that they wanted it to pass because and and Biden could say, "Look, I need Congress to give me the power to secure the border, and this bill gives them gives me the power to do that." To therefore, pass this bill. Um. Obviously, that's a disingenuous way of framing it. He already has the power to secure the border if he wants to. Um, the existing laws that we have on that are, are are plenty sufficient. Also, we know full well that Joe Biden does not really care what he has congressional authorization to do, as he demonstrated with, you know, the eviction moratorium, with the student student loan, uh, uh, bailout, etc. So. Uh, so it's a it's a disingenuous argument, but it's a politically successful argument because now who are the bad guys in this? Well, it's the Republicans that didn't that didn't pass this deal solving that was supposed to solve a problem that they say that they want solved, um, that they weren't gonna do in an election year because they didn't want Biden to look good. That's the narrative from Democrats. And look, that's not a you know, politically, that's a that's that's a pretty successful narrative. They played this pretty well. Um and uh, and of course, Republicans are their own worst enemy, as we've seen time and time again, especially in this Congress. But I mean, you know, this goes back a while. So, uh, you know, th- this is yeah, it- it's hard to it's hard to see why a president uh, who <laughs> is in a position to get political wins like that is someone that should be that should be traded out, um, even if yeah, even if uh, it seems like his 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 mental health
1: is, is going. Yeah. So they think that kind of the apparatus is working, even if the guy at the center of it is not in tip top condition. And I agree with you, this, you know, I don't think this transforms the politics of the border. Just too much has happened. And so <clears throat> directly attributable to what what Biden has done there, but it gives them something to talk about, which is like the first time, you know, this is the best, the, the, the best uh, thing he's had to say about the border in, in three years. So MBD, Feel free to, to take on the foreign aid in Ukraine, Bill. But before you do, what are your thoughts about this uh, extraordinary spectacle? I like Mike Johnson. You know, I think he's, I think he's a good guy. I think he's a, a conservative Trump, Trumpier than I am, obviously. But, uh, I just don't understand how you bring up the impeachment of a cabinet official for the first time in what, you know, it was 150 years or whatever it is and, and not be totally certain you're going to have the votes. Why are you up on the air, up in the air on this thing? And they, they have a Democrat that they assumed would be in the, the hospital who shows up in his, you know, h- hospital gown. Uh, to vote to vote no and it and it goes down and they'll they think they'll get it when Steve Scalise who's who's out with uh, <clears throat> getting cancer treatment we wish the best to him uh, when he's feeling a little a little better and is back but it's still it'll be tainted as as this thing you could barely get through and then he had planned a messaging vote as they call it on Israel funding standalone Israel funding and they knew they were going to lose but they they you know they they uh, the 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 play was to just sh- demonstrate Democrats are voting against this, but he does a Mayorkas uh, thing and it goes down and then immediately it does this other thing and it goes down. So the message isn't like, oh, wow, they really care about Israel and Democrats don't. The message is you don't know what you're doing and you're losing on everything.
0: Right. And then Thomas Massey comes out and says, this has been a disaster because even on the uh, process issues that conservatives wanted, the House is going backwards yeah, I mean, the first thing you've got to be able to do when you're when you're in Johnson's position is count votes, and I think he was hoping that there was some kind of Trumpy magic to the impeachment process of Mayorkas that would just build that it would just build momentum and um, everyone in the party would have to go for it. Um, but in fact, that's not true, right? I mean, and and the fact is. You know the the GOP majority is built on these like completely tenuous districts in New York that are disappearing as we speak. We're about to have an election for George Santos's seat. Um, you know, uh, it's, it's very likely Mike Lawler could be in the chopping block in the next election. Um, you know, th- this is uh, this is a difficult conference to manage, and it's just never been acknowledged. The GOP still has—I mean, they're not as moderate as they used to be when they were from Maine and 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 Greenwich, Connecticut—but it still has moderate members in the suburbs of New York, and um, they have to be accommodated. And and so uh, I don't know where jo- what Johnson's doing as far as the foreign aid uh, bill. I mean, there it's a very odd thing. The The conference in the Senate and in the house is divided. There are people like, you know, in the Senate, like JD Vance, who are basically opposed to Ukraine funding for geopolitical reasons, but have made the argument that, you know, you could at least demonstrate that you prioritize America by funding the border and, and basically throwing it out there as if you do that, you know, maybe that could entice us to support the U- Ukraine bill because you'd be giving something you don't want to give, and I could give you something I don't want to give. And and the fact is, you know, I, I talked to um, an aide in, in Vance's office. They never even thought this bill came close to being um, a, a an attractive deal on the border. You know, it just because it created this extra process whereby illegal immigrants could get automatic release and a work permit at the end of a non-adversarial interview with an asylum officer. So basically right. avoiding... No, no,
1: no restrictionist trust the asylum officers.
0: Right. Well, it's basically avoiding it's avoiding the very idea of having a, a, a hearing at which the tightened asylum standards are applied. So... And I, I totally agree with their judgment on that. So those Republicans, like Vance, are out on Ukraine funding. They're not going to vote for it in a standalone bill. But there are a lot of Republicans who support Ukraine funding, but are nervous about their voters <laughs> and, and nervous about where they stand in the party uh, and nervous about a primary. And they're the ones that are going to have difficulty in the next couple of weeks. because. So... They want to. They want to vote for the aid, and I think you know. In many ways, yeah, they are. They are elected Republicans are more hawkish on Ukraine than the party itself polls. So they're the ones in a jam.
1: There's no doubt about that. So MBD, what is the theory though? So uh, we're going to talk about the Tucker Tucker Carlson interview, and I have to apologize. I don't know whether you would have watched the, the full two hours uh, if you if you hadn't thought we were going to talk about it. We're, we're not going to get to it in much depth, but I am referring to it. Here, but you know my understanding is putin said let's let's do a deal you know give us some Ukrainian territory and, and we'll do a deal I'm totally open to that i've been open to that for for a very long time, but I don't know what the theory of opponents of the uh, the aid is that if we starve Ukraine, it's basically is it that Ukraine is the problem uh, the ukraine's the obstacle to getting that deal, so if you starve them from getting shells and their indications, you know, they I don't know, they were shooting 10,000 shells during the counter now they're shooting 2000 and, and the Russians are shooting several times more than that, than that every day. But if the Ukrainians are just pressured on the battlefield, then we'll get the, then we'll get the armistice. Uh,
0: I think there's some thought of that, that, I mean, it's more, it's been supported more with reporting that Zelensky himself is, out of touch with the military realities and is a bit delusional and megalomaniacal about what he can achieve personally as a leader and what Ukraine can ultimately achieve uh, on the battlefield that, you know, it's not just bluff when he says they're going to take Crimea. He really believes it, even though no one else in the world believes that uh, at this point. Um, But I think it's much more just uh I don't think there is a geostrategic theory behind it. I think it is much more for most Republicans who are opposed to more aid. It is let's not put more good money chasing after bad. We cannot, we're not going to meaningfully um, change the outcome uh, from where it is now, because you're not going to repeat the counteroffensive, right where, it, leading up to the counteroffensive, we not only poured in over 100 billion dollars; many other countries poured in money and weapons, and South Korea donated weapons, and all these countries came together to do extraordinary things that cannot now be repeated. and And now, you're a year later, the uh, Ukrainian army is much more degraded than it was a year ago. It is much more demoralized than it was a year ago, and you just can't summon up the material or the or the money uh, in such large numbers. So no one expects it's going to make like a like another counteroffensive is going to uh, succeed. Um, So I think it's just it's just that is it's it once the aid's cut from the Republican Congress, it will force everyone to start thinking about a negotiation strategy. Yeah.
1: I'd, I'd vote unhesitatingly for the for the aid, unsurprisingly. But it does. It's clear in retrospect. It's easy to say these things in retrospect. But the counteroffensive was a mistake, and this is very often the worst thing you can do in a war of attrition. Which, unfortunately, after the first year. And I think that was the golden hour where we should have been giving Ukraine everything they they, they asked for initially here uh, there. And maybe they could have really pushed the Russians all the way back. But once you're in a war, attrition throwing yourself against deeply dug in forces in an offensive, it's like the worst thing uh, you can do. And the people who... Um, I was talking to someone a defense expert the other day saying, well, actually you know they treated a lot of of Russian forces uh, in the counteroffensive as well. But I think in retrospect, you would have, you know held your fire, held the line, and and uh, uh, you know n- not expended all that artillery and 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 all that all that armor and be in a fairly desperate position. Now, but Dominic, back to Congress. So you're a Republican leader. even more of a Republican leader than you are now. Actually an elected, republican leader in congress who wants to get stuff done and wants to control his caucus wants to have a future in republican politics wants to be liked by people to a certain extent who would you rather be you have to choose one speaker johnson or leader mcconnell who would i rather be to be liked among republicans or to have to all those th- be all that whole, that whole mix of things i threw in there that would might be considerations you, you got to. You got to examine your conscience and and come up with what what which which would weigh weigh most heavily for you. But who who would you rather be as a leader, McConnell or Johnson? Well,
3: my gut was to say Johnson just because he's much younger and therefore has a longer future. But I'm not sure he does have a longer mm-hmm. future in leadership, to be quite honest. With you. Not because he's gonna not because he's gonna die, but just because he's gonna get booted by yep. the caucus for no reason. Um, uh, yeah, that's a tough one. And, and uh, you know, my initial question was, you know, do I want to be liked among Republicans or do I want to be politically successful? Because apparently those two things are in contradiction. <laughs> uh, so uh, I guess I would say, I guess I would still say Johnson, um, just insofar as I think he has a little bit more uh, ability to shape the direction of the party going forward and kind of, uh, you know, he's, as you mentioned before, he's, he's a little bit Trumpier than national review is, but he does have a lot of, uh, uh, he does have a lot of, of of solid conservative Mm -hmm. policy Mm -hmm. instincts.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
3: Correct. And, And, and I believe he probably has, um, some ability to try to, to try to thread that needle, um, and, uh, and, have a more of a role in a post-Trump GOP whenever that eventually comes around. <laughs> um, I think he has an ability... My, my least favorite
1: phrase, because it's, it's, it's like a, this uh, false, you know, you think it's an oasis out there in the desert. It's just the, the uh, impossible heat of the sun shimmering and fooling your eyes. Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean,
3: I guess I, I think uh, if, 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 if that, whenever we do... Uh, Whatever we do get there, I think if that party has uh, people like people like Mike Johnson uh, in charge of shaping the direction of it, I think that would probably be a a positive thing uh, overall. So I guess I'd go with him, but I mean, like I said, it's hard.
1: MBD Johnson,
3: McConnell.
0: Hi, Johnson. Um, I mean, I think why? Uh, well, I mean, McConnell's on his way out, and um, McConnell's already among. Talk radio influencers and and other Twitter social media influencers a kind of synonym for compromise on major issues like immigration. Um, Johnson, you know, if if somehow the GOP gets a a, a majority with some margin, um, can still redefine who he is.
1: Mm-hmm. Maddie. Got, we got two two uh, Speaker Johnson's on the board. Um,
2: I'm actually going to say McConnell. I think that Johnson is more vulnerable to the the forces of chaos and will be uh, more limited um, in what he's when he's trying to do. I think we've seen that already. I mean, you could make the argument that uh, Trump and the Trump wing wing of the GOP will try and bring down McConnell. As GOP Senate leader, maybe maybe that would happen. Um, immigration could be an issue to do that with. But I, I do think day to day Johnson's uh, job at, at directing the the party rather than the party directing him is is a lot more difficult, and a lot more precarious.
1: So I have to say this is a good tough question. I don't want to pat myself on the back too much, but <laughs> it's it is really tough. I McConnell, I have so much respect for McConnell. What a great senator! What a great leader! He's been. I mean, he's truly a historic figure, but I think he's in a tough spot in a couple different ways. One is just Trump. It's Trump's party. It's not Mitch McConnell's party. It's not even close to being Mitch McConnell's party. And it's it's Trump's Senate caucus, basically. You know, he his what he says weighs more than Mitch what Mitch McConnell says. And you know, I, I'm not sure when that's uh, uh, ever been. True, it's obviously when you have a sitting president, you know, you you show a lot of deference. But but this is the weakest McConnell's ever been, and playing into that is just his 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 condition h- himself. You know, he's not a spring chicken. My understanding, you know, the hearing is very bad. He, you know, they have these policy lunches or these big meetings, and and he can't really fully participate in them because he can't hear what's what's being said, and and he'll get up and say things that, are, that aren't necessarily. Relevant or, or show much much understanding of of what's been going on, and um, that's that's bad. And so far, you know, the people who have been anti-McConnell, and we've heard a lot of it this week. Um, is the same people, the same people, it's always been. They're, they're more mus- vociferous, but there's no sign of a, a break yet with McConnell <clears throat> loyalists or, or people have been with McConnell because he's been so powerful for so long. But that could be coming. And I just <clears throat> we editorialized about this. You know, a, a while ago, it's just he, he should go out on his own terms, and uh, in, in my view, that that should be you know it doesn't have to be today, tomorrow, or the day after, but it should pr- probably be sooner rather than later. With that, let's hear from our second sponsor, and we got a great work theme going with these sponsors. This episode, it is deep in the ethos of National Review that work is a bedrock in a flourishing society and that work is a pivotal component in the God-given dignity of every person. Economist and financial manager, David Bonson, our friend and colleague, has taken this message to its full potential with his brand new book, Full Time, Work and the Meaning of Life, whether it be in public policy, in the culture, or even in the church. Too often, work is seen as a necessary evil and not the universal blessing That it is, David argues in this brand new book for the economic, theological, and ontological significance of work, suggesting that it is core to our identity and that the fastest way to a failed state will be to continue in this low regard for work that ignores our God-given capacity for productivity. David does not shy away from defending work as a therapeutic, cathartic vehicle for dealing with challenging circumstances in life and ultimately argues that the other things we value in a well-ordered life, marriage, children, community worship, are all enhanced when we properly prioritize and centralize work. It is not a book on work that you've ever read before. Get David Bonson's full-time work in the meaning of life today at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever fine books are sold. That's full-time work in the meaning of life. And check out more at fulltimebook.com. This is a a tremendous uh, book and really a wonderful and profound uh, argument. And we had a a book event for David just the other day in MBD and engaged in a dialogue uh, with, with David. And this is um, it is something totally fresh. It's something that you'll probably, when you engage with it, feel to be true that you've always intuited, but, but David spells it out with great clarity and great forcefulness with that. Let's go to the Supreme court oral arguments that already feel uh, almost like ancient history. Dominic, But we have the Supreme Court case over whether Colorado is within its power to strike Donald Trump from its ballot. And this was tough sledding for Colorado. It wasn't just the conservative justices. It was the progressive justices, especially Jackson and Kagan, who sounded very skeptical of Colorado's um, uh, reasoning. Here And as uh, Andy McCarthy has pointed out, y- y- the conservative justices are going to be very skeptical, skeptical because Colorado's position isn't really supported by the text or the history here. And then you have the uh, progressive justices skeptical because they're very into the 14th Amendment. I mean, the, the 14th Amendment is like you know, the Constitution to them almost. And you have Colorado saying this is a, a state's rights measure. Basically, that uh, sec- section three gives the the, the states, and in, in um, coinciding with the the reading of other provisions of the Constitution and the federal structure generally, states just um, massive discretion to decide how to deal with this prohibition on someone who's engaged in insurrection, uh, serving in office, not not running, but actually being in the office, and you had. Uh, Kagan and, and Jackson, you know, say, wait a minute, this, this was supposed to be a limit on on uh, former Confederate states. And you're, you're telling us that the, the Confederate states could have um, messed with the, the national ballot. And Jackson also seemed very sympathetic to the argument, you know, a, t- a technical one, and, and a, one that seems counterintuitive, but actually, once you engage with it, seems correct, that uh, the president of the United States is not an officer of the United States for, for purposes of this provision and others in the Constitution, what do you make of it? Yeah,
3: I think Colorado always had a tough a tough case here. Um, I think it's probably a good thing that they did what they did in the sense that it's uh, positive that we will have the Supreme Court rule on it and hopefully uh, settle the question. Um, if the oral arguments are any indication, you know, the ruling will be something to settle the question. It won't be one of these Supreme Court rulings that makes the issue more confusing um i i think uh colorado's reliance on the federal constitution to make a decision within their state always just struck me as a little bit strange If if the federal constitution prohibits trump from being on the ballot in one state i don't know how it couldn't also prohibit him from being on the ballot in other states and furthermore uh when you have maine uh making this decision not through a court but through the secretary of state for for the state of Maine uh that makes it even more just sort of scattershot and random uh and that's not how constitutional law should be so uh i think it's a good thing that the supreme court is 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 ruling on this and hopefully they'll they'll settle the question you did say that the 14th amendment uh you know the Progressive justices believe that that is the whole Constitution, but it's not even the whole Fourteenth Amendment, as Clarence mm-hmm. Thomas would remind us, because the uh, privileges or immunities clause is just completely ignored. Uh, so, just had to throw that in as well.
1: <laughs> so, Maddie, uh, a telling point that <clears throat> Kagan, in particular, emphasized with with Amy coming coming Barrett coming in on this as well is uh, wait a minute. So, you're saying that Colorado can. On its own, decide a presidential election. Uh, Colorado is a blue state, right? It doesn't really matter uh, that that Trump's not on the uh, the ballot there in the sense of the outcome. But if it were a, a, a purple state or a decisive state, it could really be deciding the the election for for the entire country. And uh, th- they're also on this this you know more technical issue, but w- one that clearly mattered to them. So if because the the uh, Colorado lawyer is like, no, 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 it's not Colorado. It's not Colorado deciding. Because Co- Colorado make this determination. And that'll come up to you. So you get to decide. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. They're wait a minute. We're supposed to take the factual record. You know, that's the usual practice of Colorado. And and what's the due process here? You know, you you accepted the January sixth report. Maybe that report. Is technically hearsay. Maybe there is a lot of hearsay in that report. And one, is social scientist. So that's the factual record you're supposed to be working with. He's like, no, you can do your own review, and you can just like, see them. Like, wait a minute. So we're supposed to, we're going to make this this decision uh, our, ourselves. And and then you know, this naturally <clears throat> leads to the uh, this this technical or practical problem goes to the the structural scheme that they they most of them or all of them seem to accept as as this is a, a federal provision on a national question and Congress needs to effectuate it.
2: Yeah. Um, I thought it was interesting that there was uh, Trump's lawyer, Jackson Mitchell gave quite a restrained presentation of his case. Yeah. He was good. Yeah. And he, you know, it probably helped that Trump wasn't there to do loud stage whispers like, (laughs) like he did in the Eugene Carroll case, but he had a very modest tone and scope and, um, made some concessions. Even he said at one point, you know, that, that January 6th was a riot, um, and the, the events were shameful, criminal, violent. But they, but they did not qualify as an insurrection. Um, other than that, there actually wasn't they that much.
1: People, but they, they were fine people.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> other than that, there really wasn't that much discussion of, of January 6th. People got the the justice got bogged down in, in some of the more uh, some of the processes and and qualifications. Um, it was one interesting point I thought was when, uh, Brown Jackson actually encouraged Mitchell to be a little more assertive. Um, she, you know, she said she doesn't understand why you're giving up the argument that, uh, that
1: presidents are not, are not, uh, covered by section three. Um, yeah. At first I was just setting a trap when she's asking, why aren't you yeah. using this argument? He's going to say, well, you're not because of this, you know, proves you're wrong. But instead she's like, this is a really good argument.
2: <laughs> yeah, I know. It, it, it was a surprising moment. Definitely. Um, and and yeah, we, we saw from from uh, Justice Kagan as well that she was very sceptical. She said it sounds this sounds like very national to me, not really for one state to decide. Um, Sotomayor was a was a bit bit harder to read. She was sparring a lot with Mitchell uh, over over aspects of Trump's argument. But but when her liberal colleagues were were kind of weighing in, she didn't she didn't contradict anything they were saying. Um, I do think it's important for the court to be decisive. I'm not actually as optimistic as Dominic that they that they will be and that they won't um, you know just kind of focus on on some of the the processes as, as opposed to give a clear uh clear, bright line um so yeah I think Dan had a good corner post on this just saying you know it, it remains to be seen how and when the, the court will will uh, overturn the Colorado decision but it's it it looks like it it, it won't be close.
1: Yeah, so th- there. Uh, I love polemics and argument generally, and there there are two modes that both have their their place and can be enjoyable in their own ways. One is the extremely forceful, fierce, <clears throat> excuse me, advocate, and the other is is what Trump's lawyer was yesterday, which is the winsome advocate who believes that giving some ground makes what he's the ground he really wants to hold more persuasive. and And you you saw him doing that. Again and again, just sort of saying, you know, that's not the best argument for us, you know, or, or that argument. If we if we relied entirely on that and this this is, was what he responded uh, to Jackson Brown, um, Brown Jackson on the um, the question of why why wasn't using the, the first element of uh, this question of of whether the. Uh, that this section applies to the president or not. And he's like, well, it'll create other problems reading other provisions of the Constitution. So we're not totally giving up that argument, but we think this other one uh, is stronger. But MBD, this question of of how, and and we're going to get an exit question kind of predicting where the the court comes down in terms of its numbers. But this question of whether it's better, which seems like where the court is heading to just rely on process arguments and kind of knock this out before you get to the merits of whether Trump engaged in insurrection, whether that's the, the best approach for the court or whether, you know, as Dan McLaughlin has argued, you got to, you, you got to kill this thing now <clears throat> by saying what, what's the clearest argument in Dan's mind is that the, the by the meaning of the word engaged, Trump did not engage, right? <clears throat> giving a speech on the ellipse and saying you go peacefully and patriotically to the Capitol is not engaging in an in insurrection. Sitting and watching TV while the supposed insurrection is happening is not engaging in the insurrection. Uh, having, you know sort of um ambiguous tweets about how you want people to stop when it's not really clear you do is not engaging in insurrection, and then finally saying, "Don't do it is not engaging in insurrection so so do that because you then forestall what I believe Jackson uh, was the one who in sort of an ominous moment at the end was asking so does this if we decide this case does this does this put this to bed, or will the, will Congress take this up when it comes to the the time to account electoral votes?" And, you know, there's going to, if Trump wins again, there's going to be a tremendous reaction. And I, I do think that this will be the democratic position is that he, he shouldn't, his votes shouldn't be counted because he engaged in an insurrection.
0: Yeah, I is, I, I don't know where they will come down. I, I think it was important and the conservative justices seem to be emphasizing this in their part of the debate that the history of how, uh, various confederate figures um were treated in the years after the Civil War, which was mostly with leniency. Now I I happen to think that was actually much more of a political decision than than um than one based on the text of uh the Constitution here. And um so I'm not sure it will hold up. I'm not sure that they're gonna go that far. Uh but you're right. I don't I think there's a risk that they don't actually put this to bed and that, you know, They leave room for Jack Smith to convict Trump in some way, and then secretaries of state might have a new argument to launch um, if they don't nip it in the bud. Um, And I'm, I'm slightly more sympathetic to Colorado's case than everyone else on a state's rights, uh, mm-hmm. basis.
1: Just like, like, well, they, they states run elections. So
0: states run elections and, and state officers are, are interpreters of the constitution too. Um, and, um, but h- however much I agree with that, I believe that the idea of Colorado actually going out and doing this or Maine doing this is insanely unwise, uh, politically. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to be very yeah. clear on that.
1: Um, So, Maddie, exit question to you. We're going to put it all on the line and say, I think we assume there'll be a majority against Colorado. How many votes will there be against Colorado from five to nine?
2: Um, I think there will be eight. Um, I think Sotomayor will will dissent.
1: off, Mm. Dominic. Uh,
3: I'm going to say nine. MBD. Oh,
0: I'm with Maddie. Sotomayor... Is has clearly decided her his like her role is to enter history as the one who gave progressives everything they wanted every time she
1: did. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with Dominic. I think it'll be nine. Roberts will write it, and it'll find some the, the narrowest possible grounds to get Sotomayor on, and then you'll have lots of concurring opinions. With that, let me do a quick plug. For NR Plus, digital subscription service at nationalview.com, your way around a meter paywall, your way. If you sign up and log in to see about 90% fewer ads, your way to comment on articles and blog posts if you want to, and to get invited to exclusive events and calls with our writers, editors, and other conservative figures, and much more importantly, your way to support our valuable journalism. We need people to pay a little something for it. And I emphasize a little. It's, it's, it's not a lot, but if enough people do it, it makes a big difference. So if you're not already a member, please consider joining tens of thousands of your fellow National Review readers as a member of Plus today, tomorrow, or the day after. With that, let's hit a few other things before we go. MBD, you've been listening to Time Jumpers, The Time Jumpers.
0: Yeah, The Time Jumpers are um, a group of a rotating group of musicians in Nashville, many of them session players, but some of them kind of elite guys like Vince Gill, who perform have been around for over 20 years. Um, and they perform weekly in Nashville, um, at Third and Lindsley. Uh, and they're they're dedicated to um especially a, a kind of subgenre of country music you'd call Western Swing, which was popular. From the you know 30s through the 40s, um, and these are just elite musicians. And there's a they've got a couple albums that you can stream on Spotify. And um, it's a very old, old and fun style of music that kind of incorporates country with um, swing and even a little bit of klezmer and polka and and uh, gypsy jazz. And, um, it really calls out uh, forth like amazing musicians, musicianship. And it's, it's really one of the most American genres you can find. So check them out.
1: Awesome. So Maddie, big event, first wedding anniversary.
2: Yeah. Last weekend, um, we were actually at a friend's wedding, which was, uh, which was really nice. It was, um, the same priest that married us was marrying our friends and they also had similar music choices for the mass. So we kind of felt like we were reliving our wedding day vicariously through them. Um, But uh, this weekend we're going to go out for dinner and and celebrate.
1: Awesome. Well, enjoy Nick remembering your anniversary while it lasts. (laughs) Dominic, you were down in Miami and went to the brigade two five, six museum.
3: Yeah. Brigade two five zero six was the, um, uh, us backed, uh, uh, brigade of uh, Cuban patriots who uh, participated in the Bay of Pigs invasion uh, in 1961, and uh, I was there with my friend Daniel DiMartino, who, uh who uh, is is uh, friends with some of the veterans uh, that are there, and so we got a tour from one of the veterans, and Daniel uh, translated from Spanish into English for us in real time while we were there, which was impressive by him, and it was uh, it was an honor to meet. Uh, to meet uh, a veteran of that campaign.
1: That's awesome. So I persist in my belief that I adopted a couple years ago, and it's made winter, which I don't necessarily enjoy, more tolerable to me that mid-February is spring because the, the sun is demonstrably stronger, the days are demonstrably longer, and in Florida and Arizona, grown men are throwing baseballs in, in anger and uh, I can feel it already coming. We're almost there. So uh, the Super Bowl is like really, really the last act of winter for me. So there's some residual cold, but it doesn't matter quite as much because it's clearly residual with that MBD. Sorry. Three, two, one with that. It's time for our editor's picks. MBD. What's your pick? Uh,
0: my pick is a book review in the magazine by George Hawley. Um, under the title, The New Republican Coalition, when you look for it online. Um, and it's Holly's review of Patrick Raffini's book, Party of the People, uh, inside the Multiracial Populist Coalition, and uh, Remaking the GOP. And I think Holly's analysis of this is sober, uh, even if it's enthusiastic, um, that it's a great opportunity for the Republican Party that uh, working class voters and non-white voters are coming into the party but that also as a practical matter uh, the party probably needs to seek to claw back uh, elites where it can uh, given how useful they are for governing and for um, e- and even for showing up at the polls and off your elections. It's a, an important little piece of um, analysis about the trends reshaping politics.
1: Maddie Kearns what's your pick?
2: I appreciated uh, Dan McLaughlin's corner post on the Supreme Court oral arguments. I just thought it was very helpful uh, in making sense of them. And he's just a great legal analyst.
1: No doubt. Dominic.
3: My pick is Jim's morning jolt from today uh, about Biden's age uh, and about uh, his consistency. Jim's consistency on this. Uh, He's been calling a spade a spade for a very long time. Uh, He was getting crap for it a couple of years ago, but now he's obviously correct and he was obviously correct the entire time.
1: Yep. That was my pick as well. And for exactly the same reason, which just, just shows how sagacious your pick was, Dominic. I just love the, the keeping book aspect of this and he's done it before. He clearly Chris Saliza, you know, <laughs> he's on Jim's list, but also Susan Glasser, both of whom objected to uh, a 2021 post from Jim saying something's not right. <clears throat> with this president. So that's it for us. You've been listening to a National U podcast and your rebroadcast, retransmission, recount this game without the express written permission of National You magazine is strictly prohibited. This podcast has been produced by the incomparable Sarah Schutte, who makes us sound better than we deserve. Thank you, Dominic. Thank you, Maddie. Thank you, MBD. Thanks to How the World Works and David Bonson's awesome new book, Full Time. And thanks especially to all of you for listening with the editors. We'll see you next time.